Hello, everyone. This is Father Bill Nicholas, and this is Faith, Hope, and History. Greetings and welcome, everybody. It is Friday, November 10th, 2023. It was on this day in 1865 that Henry Wirtz, commandant of Andersonville Prison during the Civil War, was hanged for war crimes. Henry Wirtz was a Swiss immigrant who joined the Confederacy as a private and eventually found himself as commandant of the notorious Andersonville Prison of the Southern Confederacy, uh, which was known for its atrocities, the emaciation of the prisoners when they were eventually, eventually liberated. Uh, he was eventually captured and transported to Washington, D.C., where he faced charges. And on this day, he was hanged uh, for uh, his actions as a Confederate and in Andersonville Prison. It's interesting, on his grave marker, it says, Captain Henry Wirtz, CSA, Confederate States of America. It says, Confederate hero and martyr. Isn't that interesting that... Even then, as a Confederate, he is considered a martyr for the cause of the Confederacy, having been hanged by Union soldiers, uh, the Union authorities, after the Civil War. But today is also the feast day of Pope St. Leo I, also known as Pope Leo the Great. And uh, at least for me personally, it has the distinction of being the saint from which I took my confirmation name. Uh, being a Leo myself, in terms of when my birthday occurs, I looked up the various pope or various saints named Leo, and found, of course, Pope Leo the Great. I had already known of his papacy since studying history, and thought this would be a good saint to uh, take his name for confirmation. Uh, he is known, of course, for being the pope who stopped Attila the Hun, the great relentless barbarian general, from sacking Rome. Attila the Hun was considered one of those generals that no one could stop. He had attacked, laid siege to, and sacked a number of cities within the Roman Empire, but was now on the outskirts of Rome, and Pope St. Leo went out to meet with him. They say the meeting took about an hour and 15 minutes. No one knows what was said in the exchange between the two, and let's face it, what was paid to Attila the Hun by Pope Leo. But somehow, Pope Leo managed to persuade Attila the Hun to not sack Rome and to move on. Uh, Pope Leo was not quite as successful with subsequent barbarian generals, but this is one of the legendary moments of, of European and church history in which somehow this relentless general, this leader, Attila the Hun, was somehow stopped and persuaded not to sack Rome, at least this time, by Pope St. Leo I. But that's not the reason why he's considered to be Leo the Great. He is uh, considered to be a, a great saint. Uh, he is a confessor, a doctor of the church, teacher of the faith, uh, bishop of Rome, and of course the Roman Pope. But it was under his papacy that the bishop of Rome was initially recognized as the successor to St. Peter, now, of course, all the bishops are recognized and considered to be the successor of the apostles. There were 12 apostles. There were probably other apostles as well, in addition to the 
uh, listed 12, Barnabas, Paul, Matthias, who replaced Judas Iscariot. I mean, even the four evangelists, Matthew and John, were apostles. Mark and Luke were not on any list of apostles, but let's face it, they wrote very authoritative gospel accounts of Jesus and his early teachings. And when we celebrate their feast days, we celebrate them from a portion of the Roman Missal called the Common of the Apostles, as is the case of St. Barnabas, who's not on any listing. He's in the Acts of the Apostles, and on his feast day, he's considered St. Barnabas the Apostle. So there were probably more than 12, and now we have bishops in the thousands throughout the world that are the successors to the Apostles, but the Bishop of Rome specifically is the successor to St. Peter. But the first pope to be recognized as such is Pope St. Leo I. And, of course, at that recognition, all previous popes or previous bishops of Rome have been recognized to be successors to Peter, and, of course, all subsequent bishops of Rome, right down to our Holy Father today, Pope Francis, are seen and recognized and honored as successors specifically to St. Peter, the unifying head of all the apostles, and the pope is now the unifying head of all the bishops throughout the world. And the reason why Pope St. Leo was considered great is, among other things, he had a tremendous influence. As a doctor of the church that he's known to today, he had a tremendous influence on how we understand the authority and the ministry and the role of bishops and the Holy Father in the church. And with regard to the declaration that he is the successor to Peter, he did not make that declaration himself. It speaks to the role of councils, ecumenical councils in the church, of which Vatican II was the last of 21 councils in our church's history. The role that they have in making declarations, definitions of our matters of faith and, and morals with regard to our Catholic faith. And with regard to Pope St. Leo, he called a council, called the Council of Chalcedon. And he is known for having written a document that is known simply as the Tome. And in the Second Council of Ephesus in 449, Pope St. Leo's representatives delivered his famous Tome. And I believe, actually, it was not a Council of Ephesus. It was a Synod of Ephesus. Some circles refer to it as the Second Council of Ephesus in 449. But of the 21 ecumenical councils, only one council was of Ephesus. And that was in the year... 431, whereas the Synod of Ephesus that I'm referring to was in 449. And in that Synod of Ephesus, Leo's representatives delivered his famous tome in which he defended various aspects of, of church teaching, especially with regard to uh, Jesus Christ. And it was a statement of the Roman Catholic Church in the form of a letter. And it was presented again at the subsequent Council of Chalcedon, as offering a solution to Christological controversies that were happening between East and West of Christianity. And in the Council of Ephesus, which occurred in 451, it rejected the heresies regarding Jesus, who denied the true human nature of the Son of God and affirmed the union of his one person, without confusion, being of two natures, human and divine, and in reading this tome, the council reported back, and here I quote, After the reading of the foregoing epistle, the most reverend bishops cried out, 
This is the faith of the fathers. This is the faith of the apostles. So we all believe. Thus the orthodox believe. Anathema to him who does not thus believe. Peter has spoken thus through Leo. So taught the apostles. Piously and truly did Leo teach. So taught Cyril. Everlasting be the memory of Cyril. Leo and Cyril taught the same thing. Anathema to him who does not so believe. This is the true faith. Those of us who are orthodox thus believe. This is the faith of the fathers. And so the key phrase in this, of course, is Peter has spoken thus through Leo. And so that began the recognition in the church that in the Bishop of Rome, we see the successor to St. Peter. While all the bishops are successors to the apostles, the Bishop of Rome specifically is a successor to Peter. Now, of course, this caused some questions because Peter was also the first patriarch of Antioch. And he eventually moved to Rome, where he was Patriarch of Rome, and there is where he was executed. And we all know that story. He was executed on a cross upside down. He was crucified upside down, considering himself unworthy to die as Christ did, and so they naturally obliged him and crucified him upside down. But he was the Bishop and Patriarch of Rome, but he was also Bishop and Patriarch of Antioch. So when the Church declared that the subsequent Bishops of Rome would be successors to Peter, naturally the bishop of Antioch said, well, what am I? I'm a successor to Peter as well, who was patriarch of Antioch. I'm not going to get into that debate here, but we have on this day the feast day of Pope St. Leo I, and it was during his papacy that the church recognized and declared that the bishop of Rome is the successor to Peter, and we continue to see that played out throughout uh, church history, even down to today. And so, again, with the synod going on uh, recently in Rome, and the papacy of Pope Francis over the last decade, uh, it's caused a certain degree of consternation, usually among uber-conservatives. Liberals like to take what he's teaching, I think, a little too far. He's not saying the things that they would like him to say, and oftentimes they will quote him inaccurately. Conservatives think he's going too far, and especially since he succeeded a very conservative Pope, Pope Benedict XVI, there's a lot of consternation and controversy with regard to the uh, efficacy and legitimacy of Pope Francis. But the bottom line is, if as Catholic people we believe what the Church has always taught and what papacies such as that of Pope St. Leo I uh, achieved and brought about, we need to have the faith of God's constant guiding of this Church regardless of the circumstances, and that the current Holy Father, Pope Francis, is in fact the successor to St. Peter and a successor to Pope St. Leo the Great. We've had popes who have been the pinnacle of holiness, the pinnacle of virtue. We've had three popes who are called the Great because of the impact they had on the future organization and tradition of the Church. Gregory the Great with regard to liturgy, Nicholas the Great, with regard to uh, papal and curial organization, and Leo the Great, with regard to the impact he has had on the church with regard to the administration of the Bishop of Rome and our recognition of the Bishop of Rome as the successor to St. Peter. 
Three popes have been named the great, but at the same time, we've had popes who have been less than admirable. But that doesn't change the fact that, holy or unholy, admirable or not, this is the successor to Peter. This is the one that God has chosen to be the unifying head of the church throughout the world. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to be perfect. That doesn't mean that every pope is going to be admirable. Uh, Some popes have been canonized saints. Others have been exhumed and tried for heresy and their bodies thrown into the Tiber. That's another story, perhaps for another podcast. Uh, One of the more, shall we say, colorful moments of church history. But we continue to recognize that institution within the church. That Peter's role continues to guide the church. Not as a benevolent dictator, but as a unifying head of all the bishops throughout the world. Peter did not lead the church in a vacuum. He was one of a college of apostles. And we even see in the Gospels how Jesus regularly called Peter to task. Get out of my sight, you Satan, is one of them. And perhaps the reason why the evangelists who wrote the Gospels remembered decades later when they wrote their Gospels, decades after Jesus ascended into heaven, perhaps the reason they remembered that Jesus called Peter to task on occasion is probably because the other apostles in the decades following were doing just that on a regular basis. St. Paul is one of them in the letter to the Galatians. He says, I oppose Cephas to his face because he was wrong, Cephas being St. Peter. And the other apostles, I'm sure, came to real debates with one another and with Peter. We've seen that throughout history, even down to today. I recall a older bishop of the United States, when Pope Benedict was visiting Washington, D.C., he was one of a number of bishops chosen to ask him questions, and he stood up and said, yes, Holy Father, you and I have had some serious disagreements over the years, whereupon Pope Benedict smiled and said, yes, we've had some lively conversations, haven't we? And the very next day, some of the people in my parish came up to me and said, oh my gosh, what's happening to the church? This bishop openly opposed the Pope in front of the other bishops. And I said, nothing's happening to the church. This is a dynamic that has been in existence since the very beginning. There are some liberal bishops who didn't agree with Pope Benedict, and there are some conservative bishops who don't agree with Pope Francis. There are those who think Pope Francis is too liberal. There are those who think he's too conservative, and that's the case with regard to Pope Benedict, Pope John Paul II, Pope Paul VI, John XXIII, and all the popes we've had throughout our history. That's the dynamic we have in our church. And he's not a benevolent dictator. He's the supreme head of our church, but he doesn't act in a vacuum. He works in conjunction and in union, unity with the bishops throughout the world, and they work in conjunction and in union with him. And that's the thing we often forget. Ours is a church that is one holy Catholic and apostolic. It's apostolic. Not, it's not papal. It's not Petrine. It's not Pauline. It's not Marian. It's not John Pauline. It's not Franciscan. It's apostolic. And what makes our church apostolic is it has its one unifying head in Peter and his successors, but it is also a college of bishops throughout the world. So as we continue on with regard to the synod in which some bishops were gathered in Rome, but not all, keep in mind that as a synod, it has no authority, no binding authority in the church. That would have to be 
the result of an ecumenical council in which all the bishops throughout the world, or at least those who are capable of attending, those who are too old or too sick obviously can't do so, but in which all the apostolic leaders, all the successors of the, of the apostles, in union with the Holy Father who must um, affirm the decisions of a council, act in that magisterium that Jesus established when he is called the Twelve Apostles and put Peter at the head of them, not as a benevolent dictator, but as a unifying head of all the apostolic leaders of the church, which is now carried on century upon century, now going into its third millennium through the Holy Father and the bishops throughout the world. And so it's a good thing to remember on this feast day of Pope St. Leo the Great, Leo I. Up until that time, he was just another bishop, but there was the prestige of being a successor to Peter in Rome. With his papacy, with the Council of Chalcedon and their response to his tome, which defended basic aspects of our faith with regard to the humanity and divinity of Jesus, it was declared in a council, Peter has spoken through Leo. This is the faith of the church, anathema to those who think otherwise or believe otherwise. And so... Let's see how this synod plays out. Let's see how the leadership of the church plays out. Let's see how the papacy of Pope Francis plays out. This is just one blip in church history. 2,000 years are not going to be changed on a dime. And if they are, then there will be other factions or other institutions within the church to modify that and eventually get to the church to where God needs the church to be. But when it comes to traditional church teachings that it has always had with regard to marriage, with regard to sexuality, with regard to the sacraments, with regard to holy orders, Pope Francis is one of over 250 bishops of Rome that we've had. And right now he is one of a couple of thousand bishops throughout the world. He's the unifying head, the successor to Peter, and the successor to Pope St. Leo and all other popes but he doesn't act in a vacuum. He can't act in a vacuum. And while there may be some, as people have noticed, more conservative bishops who were not included or invited to participate in the synod, if teaching is to be changed or adjusted, it would take a council which would include these bishops, these more conservative, orthodox, traditional bishops, but it would also include the more progressive, liberal, forward-thinking bishops. And I mean forward-thinking, not in a positive way, but just you know, wanting to consider moving in different directions. So, as we remember the feast day of Pope St. Leo I, let's remember the stability of what Jesus established in the apostolic leadership of the Church. All the bishops throughout the world represent the apostolic leadership and succeed the apostles. The Holy Father is the successor to Peter, but he doesn't act in a vacuum. He is the unifying head of all the bishops throughout the world. And let's see what comes out of this synod. Let's see what's proposed as a result of this synod. But most importantly, let's maintain our faith in the institution of the church and the hierarchy that was established by Jesus himself. Things may not go our way, that does not mean that God has abandoned the church. That simply means that God's direction is not the way we would want it to go. And so let's pray to Pope St. Leo for his intercession 
and the intercession of all the previous Holy Fathers, especially those who have been canonized saints, we know that God will protect his church. Let's have faith that the Holy Spirit is the one who is in charge, and that that institution and that charism of our church will maintain we are one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And we pray for our Holy Father that he will be faithful and strong, substantial, and true and consistent in protecting church teaching as a successor to Pope St. Leo I and a successor to all the popes who've gone before him, who are successors ultimately to the one appointed by Christ to be the unifying head of all the apostles, all the apostolic leaders, all the bishops throughout the world, St. Peter the Apostle. So those are my thoughts for today. Thank you for listening, and with any luck, I will talk to you again soon.